Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Good morning, guys. What's happening? How are we? Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Benji. I am Tim's oldest son. Uh, my wife and I and our two young boys got the privilege of being with you guys uh, every couple weeks. Hey, before we jump into the word this morning, uh, I want us just to take a breath for a minute and just to settle into the reality uh, that this is, this is a, as Nick was even sharing with us before we, before we started the service, that this is, a, this is a holy moment that we can look at church very often and we call them services. And in doing so, we can have the same mindset as when we go to the restaurant uh, after church and we'll critique it on the food, we'll critique it uh, on the service, we'll critique it on how well that they satisfied my desires on if I want to come back or not. Right, and when, when we come to church, guys, this is a, such a special moment where we are gathering together to worship God. Not to just try to be satisfied with our internal wants and desires and to meet our needs, but to come into worship together. So I want to pray for us this morning uh, before we open up. Father, thank you that we get to come and worship. Thank you that your spirit is here with us. God, thank you that you desire for us to come and meet with you. So I pray that in this next time, in this next little bit that we have, Lord, that you will speak to us, that you will use your word to be a mirror, to reflect uh, who we are, Lord, and, and use it as the sword that it is to sharpen us in ways that we need to be sharpened. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, there was a farmer uh, who owned a lot of land. He had a lot of cattle and donkeys and pigs and goats and so forth. Uh, and one day, one of his donkeys had wandered out of the gate, wandered out of the field. The donkey went wandering about on the land, and he found himself eventually falling into a dried-up well. Well, it had been there for years, and the farmer had uh, dried it out with the water sources that were there, and this donkey falls into the bottom. So this donkey starts yelling out and starts screaming and crying, longing for, for some help. And so the farmer hears this, and he begins to walk around and try to figure out where is this noise coming from. And he eventually walks upon the well, and he looks down, and 100 feet down or so is this donkey just looking up, yelling for help. So the farmer spends some time, he walks around and he assesses the situation, he assesses the depth of the well, he, he, he looks at the donkey and he tries to find any way to pull this donkey out. And after a while of assessing uh, the situation, the farmer comes to the conclusion that the well's dried up, uh, it's no good, it's of no use anymore. The donkey was pretty old, uh, wasn't really used for farming anymore, he's more of just kind of a, a pet for the grandkids when they came over. And so we reconciled, I think what's best at this point is to just fill the well in and cut our losses with the donkey. So he calls some of his neighbor. He said, hey, man, if you guys will bring your shovels over, we're going to just shovel some dirt and we're going to cover the well in. I know it's sad, isn't it? And we're just going we're, we're to deal with the donkey that way. So the farmer and the neighbors, <clears throat> they start digging, uh, shoveling the dirt in. And after about 30 minutes or an hour, they, they peek over to see what's going on. And they were amazed that as they were shoveling the dirt onto the donkey, the donkey would kind of knock the dirt off. And then after enough dirt had piled up, it would take a step onto the dirt. And so they kept watching their shovel more and more dirt. And as they keep shoveling, the donkey keeps taking steps up onto the dirt that is now acquired in the well. And so after a couple hours of shoveling dirt, to the amazement of the farmer and the neighbors, the donkey finally reaches the top, uh, top, takes a step off the well, and goes about his business. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He did it. 
I think culturally, guys, we live in such a day and age and in such a culture that it's really easy to just quit, right? It's really easy to assess the situations of our life and to look and think, uh, man, either it's, it's too old, it's too far gone, it's no longer operating. Man, it seems like too much work and too much effort to try to drag the donkey out, right? And like the donkey, sometimes we probably sit down in the well and we just throw our hands up and say, well, this is just the cards that I've been dealt. Right? We make it very easy to quit, to give up, to move on to the next best thing when my wants and desires and satisfactions aren't met. I recently had one of my students that I work with ask me at uh, practice one day, he said, hey, when you were playing college baseball, did you ever enter into or think about entering into the transfer portal? Right? We see college athletes all the time now. They go to a place when they don't like it, when they don't play enough, when the, the coach bugs them a little bit. They're like, I'm just going to transfer somewhere else. And he said, did you ever go to the transfer portal? And I said, no, back when I was playing, one, the transfer portal uh, wasn't even a real thing. And two, when we signed to commit somewhere, we had to finish what we started. Amen? That's right. Plus, nobody else wanted me. So I was forced to, <laughs> I was forced to stay where I was. Where's my 27 to 43-year-olds, millennials? Where are you guys at? Give us, a, give us a Pentecostal hand raise, not a Baptist one. That's right. Zipia, which is an online job recruitment uh, agency, says that us millennials, uh, we are known as the job hopping generation. How about that? We've been called uh, better things. But we are known as the job hopping generation because we hold a job for on average two years and nine months before we chalk it up, say we've had enough and, and our needs aren't met, we move on to the next thing. What about my Gen Z's, 24 and under? Where are you guys at? Don't be afraid, raise your hand. Come on, Dean. <laughs> Dean thinks he's 24. Gen Z's. Gosh, man, it's worse for you guys. You guys hold a job for less than two and a half years before we move on to the next best thing. And we've got a culture now. We've got generations of about 20-year gaps where we have grown up and we have been groomed and raised a little bit to just say, man, when things get tough, instead of persevering and pressing on and continuing to move forward, it's way easier for me just to quit, to go on to something else and next best thing. A lot of you older generations sitting there thinking, man, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves right now, aren't we? <laughs> That's right, sitting there thinking we are finishers, right? That is my identity. When we start something, we finish, right? All right. Your downfall. <laughs> it's coming. You ready? The verdict. You guys raised us, so it's really your fault, <laughs> Right? If you guys weren't such finishers off working your jobs all day, like, man, we would have, man, we would have known uh, how to persevere a little bit. We're just figuring it out. And so we're getting to a place now in Luke chapter 18, if you guys want to flip over that way. And as we opened up with uh, kind of funny, kind of simple, the story of the donkey, we see that there's great reward on the other end of perseverance. It's very easy for that donkey to have just said, man, like this is the cards I've been dealt. Life's just throwing dirt on me. They're tired of me. They don't have any more use for me. They don't value me. It would have been easy for that donkey to just lay there and eventually be covered up and buried. But we see that there's such value on the other end of perseverance. If you're taking notes this morning, we summarize the whole morning in this one sentence. And it's that prayer and the power of prayer is too important not to persist. The power of prayer is too important not to persist. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Luke 18, verse 1. 
It says, and he, being Jesus, told them a parable to the effect, I'd underline this, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said that there in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversaries. For a while, he, being the judge, refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find any faith on the earth? The passage before this, we see Jesus is addressing a group of people. And he begins to address the people and saying, hey guys, my time time of return, when the Son of Man comes back and and the kingdom of God uh, returns fully to the earth, you don't know when that time is going to be. After my death and resurrection and ascension, he said, it's going to be like the days of Noah. He said, man's going to go about business. They're going to go about their ways. They're going to go about their jobs. They're going to go about dating and marrying and making money and carrying on. And he says, but a day is coming when Jesus will return once and for all. And he says, in those days, it's going to be just like Noah. Meaning when the flood came for Noah in that day, the people didn't know it was coming. Right? They didn't have their cell phones dinging with alerts. They weren't checking the five-day forecast to know the rains were coming. They were caring about their business. And one day, as they're caring about, thinking that life was going to continue on as is, the flood came and devastated the world and wiped out mankind. And Jesus uses this analogy to say, guys, there is going to come a day when I will return. When I'm going to call the saints up to heaven and when those who are separated from me and don't follow me, they will be cast down to hell. That day is coming and you won't know when it's going to come. But rather like Noah, you guys are going to be carrying on about your days, about your lives, about your families. And in an instant and in a suddenness, before you know it, it's all going to be over. So Jesus then comes off the heels of this teaching and and he gets into this passage to say, but let me tell you, don't lose heart. Don't be hopeless. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared, but continue to pray with eternity and the return of Jesus in mind. He tells him this parable to say, keep praying. Don't lose heart. And I wonder for us today, some of us, man, like how much or how many of us feel like life's just throwing dirt on you? Like you've fallen in, you've, you've found yourself in a tough spot or, or your family's in a hard place or, or the things in your job aren't going well. And you're like, man, I just feel like life's throwing dirt on me. Man, like I feel like I've fallen into the well, so to speak. And, and, and I feel like the, the world or, or even like my own people being the farm. Like, I mean, I feel like they're just looking at me saying you're worthless. It'd be easier to just let you go. It'd be easier to just throw dirt on you. It'd be easier to just forget about you. And I'd be willing to bet in a room this size, there's some of us that we just feel a little bit hopeless, a little bit helpless. We feel a little bit like, man, to follow Jesus in this world, in this day and age, like it's too hard. Right? There's nothing going for you. If anything, there is no reason to say yes to following Jesus when a world that tells you it is very easy, it's more fun, it's more satisfying to live your life and to satisfy the flesh. As in the times of Noah, we find ourselves marrying, working, going on with business, seeking the pleasures of life. 
And we think, why is there such an urgency? If Jesus would say, no, like you've got to know, you need to be prepared today that in this moment, before we finish here in the next 30 minutes, we're going to take our last breaths as a room. And we think, yeah, but I have a hard time really, really grasping the urgency because yesterday looked a lot like today and today is going to probably look like tomorrow. So, so why this urgency? D.L. Moody back in 1871 was preaching up in Chicago and he was going through uh, a series and was nearing the end of it one Sunday night. And he says he stepped into this room to preach one of these sermons. He said, man, the room was just full of people. It was packed. The biggest congregation he had spoken to at that time. And he says he presents the gospel. And after he presents the gospel, he looks out at the audience and he says, I want to give you until next Sabbath. I want to give you until the next time we gather to reconcile these things within your heart and mind. As we've talked about the, the gospel and the need to follow Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, I want to give you a week to ponder these things and to come back next Sunday and to decide whether or not you want to follow Jesus and say yes to Jesus. And it says as D.L. Moody left and he goes home that night, within a couple of hours, the great fire of Chicago comes in and devastates and wipes out almost the whole city. Hundreds of people killed. Months later, Moody gets back up to preach again and he looks at the people and he says, never again will I give God's people, never again will I give more than the, the, the moment of urgency, never again will I give a whole week to respond to the gospel because as Nick spoke a couple weeks ago in Luke 14, you just don't know. You may enter out into the ocean with your family on a beach trip and get swept away by a rip current. You may drive home and there may be an accident that that could take a life or Jesus may just come back and say, it is time. And Moody would say, I I can't let there be time. I I, I can't give too much space. Like there's this urgency for us to respond right now. And Jesus would say, there is an urgency that we must live in right now. Jesus will look and say, I know that in these last days, I know that in the preparation for time to come, life is hard. I know that things beat you up. I know that things discourage you. I know that it's easier just to quit. Jesus goes from this place and he uses the widow and the word, I love here for the word for justice. This widow comes and asks the judge. In essence, she says, the word for justice is, who will defend me? This widow is this picture of having nothing. Her, her husband has died. Her kids must be uh, gone. Like she has no one to take care of her. The only person in the area is this judge that says he doesn't give a rip about anybody. But all that this widow knows is that one man has the authority that if he chooses to help defend me, And so she goes to this judge and says, hey, will you defend me? Will you take up for me? And we can take from the context, the judge probably said, no, get out of here. I don't got time for that and dismisses her. She comes back later. She says, judge, will you defend me? The judge dismisses her and says, I don't got time for you. She keeps coming back to you. She says, hey, won't you defend me? Like I've got nobody else. Right, like, like, like I'm alone, I, I need help, there's enemies, there's people that are coming against me. Will you please defend me? And we see this judge gets to this place of saying, man, not because I care about you, but because I'm sick and tired of you coming to ask, I'll grant you what you want. 
And Jesus uses this parable to say, hey, we're not to look at the father like the unjust judge. Rather, we use the the unjust judge as this stark comparison, this exact antithesis of the judge to say, we serve a God who did all that he could who broke through from heaven into earth and planted his spirit into a man named Jesus who went great lengths for his children to know him. Unlike the unjust judge, we serve a God who deeply cares about you. And he says, if you keep coming to the Father who loves you and created you and sees you, will not he also defend you? Like the donkey looking up at the farmer and saying, hey man, like we've gone through a lot of stuff together. Like, dude, I've served you, I've plowed your fields, man. Like, like I've, been, I've been by your side for a while. Who, won't you come and save me? Will you defend me? And Jesus says, we look at the heart of the Father and he says, I'll, I'll defend you. When life is throwing dirt, man, it's like, man, this is hard. It's just, who's going to take up for me? Jesus used the parable. He says, man, we serve a God who, who so desires to have unity with his children, so desires for, for the relationship. He says, I will defend you if you continue to pray, if you persevere in prayer. Luke 18, chapter, uh, verse 35, the, the very last part of this passage It says that Jesus was walking towards Jericho. As you can imagine, there's crowds of people that are following Jesus. And it says that as he is approaching Jericho, there's this blind beggar on the side of the road. And he hears this commotion. And he starts asking people, hey, well, what is is the meaning of all of this? The people say, well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And this blind man who, again, has nothing he can't see, doesn't have a job. All he's good for is sitting there shaking a tin cup for some alms. He starts yelling out, he says, Jesus, son of David, will you have mercy on me? It says the response of the people is to look at him and say, hush, man. You're of no worth, you're of no value, shut your mouth. It says the man says, no, 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 Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it says the crowd keeps telling him to be silent. And the, the more that the world and the more that the crowds and the more that people try to push him down and silence him, the more he yelled, hey, I know, I've heard stories about that man. And if anybody can meet me where I'm at and save me where I'm at, it's him. Son of David, will you have mercy on me? And in verse 41, it says, Jesus hears this man's cry. He hears the yelling and the desperation. In verse 41, it says, Jesus walked up and he says, what do you want me to do for you? That as this man was in this place of desperation to say, hey, who's going to defend me? Like, man, I need, I need help. Jesus, will you have mercy on me? That the crowds and the world and the people wanted to silence and suppress and tell them to, to, to save it. Jesus doesn't care about you, man. He's got more priorities. He's got bigger fish to fry. There's more important people than a blind beggar. You're worthless. And he says, no, but if I yell, if I cry out, if I, if, if I can just get him to hear me, maybe he can intercede with me. Gosh, and we see the tenderness of Jesus. He hears the man amongst the crowds and he walks up and looks and he says, my son, what, what can I do? What do you want me to do for you? 
And in this, this, this place of persistence and in this place of, man, don't lose hope. Keep, keep praying. Keep coming after me. And I, I, some of us just, man, we just need to keep crying out that the son of David, the Lord Jesus, have mercy on us and answer us and hear us. And just maybe in our persistency, in our resiliency when a world and when a culture that, that wants to silence the followers of Jesus and say, no, I'm going to keep yelling all the louder because I believe that if he hears me, he can intercede. Because we don't serve an unjust judge or an unjust God, but we serve one who will defend us. D.L. Moody says, guys, I can't, I can't wait any longer. I can't give you guys that much time to respond to Jesus. There's this urgency. And I'd say for us, church, there is far too great of an urgency for us not to persist in prayer. There is far too much of an urgency for us to lose heart and lose hope and not continue in prayer. A couple months ago, I was spending some time fasting and praying through something. And in the, the, the first evening of my fast, I was reading a book and, and laying in bed. And God, in this moment, he, he immediately pricked my heart so hard. And he started telling me, he's like, man, you don't truly trust and value the power of prayer. And I sat in that for a minute, and God basically showed me, he said, if you had in two hands, in one you have man's greatest abilities, resources, talents, like you've got a need that arises, and, and you've got, you know, dad can meet every single one of those that needs that you have. Or you've got prayer. You, you, you can pray, you can ask God who, who holds the keys and control over all things to intercede. He said, right now, if you hold those two in each hand, you would take man's abilities and talents and power right now. And in essence, what he started to show me, he's like, use an example. If you were to go into uh, a meeting, you're, say, say you're trying to start up a, a business or a company of some sort. And you go to somebody that you, you're desiring to be an investor and you sit down and you know this guy's got the wealth, he's got the knowledge, he's got the ability, he's got all the things to help your business get off the ground. And you sit down and you lay out your business plan and the guy says, hey man, we're not in a place to where we could really help right now, uh, but man, I'll be praying that God will provide those needs for you. He started showing me, he says, Benji, right now you would walk away from that meeting and count it as a loss. And because you aren't truly valuing the power of prayer and what I'm capable of through prayer, he said, it's because you don't truly trust the character of who I am and that I can provide more than any man's abilities and talents ever could. And so I started sitting in this with the Lord and he started just working it over in my heart. He's like, you've got to start valuing me and a persistence and a continuation of prayer more than you trust somebody else to be able to meet your needs. Because right now you put a lot of faith in man and little faith and care in prayer and in trusting me. In the middle of this chapter, we see this Pharisee goes to the temple to pray. And he, and he walks in and it says in verse 11 that the Pharisee standing by himself prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, and I'm not an adulterer, and I'm not even like this tax collector over here. He says, man, look at me, I fast, I tithe. And it says, but then there was a tax collector that was in the same room. And it said the tax collector wouldn't even turn his eyes to look to heaven, but instead he beat his chest and he said, will you God please have mercy on me, a sinner? 
And Jesus says, surely the tax collector went home justified in his prayer. And I think for us often, guys, we enter into prayer, if we pray at all, with this posture of pride to say, man, I've got most of what I need. And when I see some insufficiencies here and there, I'm going to come rub the genie bottle. I'm going to loft up some prayers because I just want you to make life as simple and easy and satisfactory for me as I can. And we'll enter into prayer so often in a great deal of pride. Either pride in that we don't need to go to the Lord, which God was correcting me on. Pride that we can trust our own abilities. And he says, but no, look at the tax collector. Look at the blind beggar. Look at these guys who came before the Father and said, no, I need mercy. I need to continue just to beat my chest and pray, God, will you, will you stop by? Will, will you see me? Will you have mercy on me? But often we can step into prayer with so much pride. And so I want to pause in the text for a minute and just write down and be honest with yourself. Lord, where are the areas? God, what are the things in my life that have made me or led me either away from prayer or to be weary in prayer? Father, what are those, what are those things for me? What, will you search me? Will you show me? Will you highlight the things? God, where have I just lost hope? could be in unanswered prayers. Maybe there's a loved one or, or a marriage or a sickness or, or, or you're like, man, I've been praying about this for weeks or for months or for years even. Like I continuously am praying about this and it just seems like God's not hearing me and we grow weary. Could be busyness of life. I think the dirtiest four-letter word for Christians is busy. We wear it like a badge of honor. That if I'm busy, then I, I've, got, I've got some kind of validation I feel because I'm, man, I'm just needed. And the busyness of life distracts us from the intentionality to set aside time to really sit with the Father. Busyness of life crowds in and it creeps in and, and it wants to disrupt any kind of place of, of peace and, and of rest. Busyness of life chokes out opportunities for intentionality with the Father and in prayer. It could be pride again. We just think, man, I just don't need you. I'll come to you when life's getting hard. I'll come to you when things aren't going as smooth. And it could just be as simple as we just trust in our own abilities. We think, man, like I've, I'm pretty good. I've got some control. Do you know who knows the power of prayer more than we do? Satan knows the power of prayer far more, I believe, than any follower of Jesus does. Any creation, any man. Like he knows that, man, there is such power if the follower of Jesus can really grasp the understanding that they are praying to the God of creation, the God who, who rises a ball of fire into the sky each day to light the earth, to, 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 to give warmth. To, to, to feed and to curate nature and to grow plants into trees. Like the God who puts these laws into motion. If the follower of Jesus could really understand who it is that they have access to, they would disrupt and dismantle my kingdom. And Satan knows that he's got a small period of time on this earth to, to, to make while he can. And man, if he knows the power of prayer, why would he not try to disrupt and distract you from entering into that power? 
So he'll distract you with busyness. He'll distract you with desires. He'll distract you with wants. He'll distract you with lusts of the flesh because all of these things draw us away from being able to set aside the intentional time to say, God, I can't do it all on my own. As much as Satan may try to make you believe that, man, you've built this great empire of yours, it's going to come crashing down quickly. Like, like, man, like, we, we, we believe, like, I just don't, I don't need you, man. My, my kids are healthy. My marriage is pretty good. I got a nice house. I got a job. My bills are paid. He wants to come in and creep in and whisper in your ear to say, shh, you don't, it's, you just don't need it. And, man, we freaking bite it and we take it. Uh, gosh, what's the phrase? Like you're fishing, sink line, and what's the? Thanks, guys. And we freaking buy it. <laughs> Hook, line, and singer. Thank you. And we believe it. And we believe it. And Jesus is saying, guys, if you will just know, if you will just know the power that you have in prayer. And I think we, we can sit, though, as well. And we can say, yeah, but, but bitch, I'm tired, man. Like, I'm worn out. Like in prayer, does God actually hear me? I've been in seasons where it seems like as I'm praying and I'm, and I'm petitioning before the Lord, it feels like there's this steel curtain above my head and every prayer just bouncing off of it and coming right back down. Why the urgency? Does God actually hear him? Does he actually care? I want us to go to Revelation chapter 4. I think it may be on the screen, or otherwise, I want you to sit and listen to these words. That right now we live, we live and have our being in the physical realm. We see flesh that, that, that all we can, we can really even comprehend is physical world. And what we forget so often is that there is a spiritual reality that is all around us that our, our physical eyes and our finite, our finite mind can't comprehend. And so John, as he is on the island of Patmos, God gives him this vision of what is taking place right now when the heavenly is around us. And in Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 2, John will write, he says, At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, the second like an ox. The third was like the face of a man, and the fourth like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, in this moment, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. 
And they cast their thrones before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter 5, verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. In this picture of the reality of what is taking place around us right now. And in a reality that our minds, no, no matter how smart we think we are, how intelligent we may be, will never be able to understand truly this picture of what's taking place in heaven. And there's angels and there's these beings with wings and eyes and, and thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels that are bowed down and they're worshiping. And amongst all this scenery in heaven, we were mentioned one time. And in chapter 5, verse 8, it says that there are golden bowls being held that are full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And when we ask this question then of like, why do we persist in prayer? Does it matter? Does God hear us? And we've got this beautiful picture that says, no, the prayers of the saints, when you bow before the Lord, when you continue to petition and yell out, son of David, will you have mercy on me or will you defend me? It says that the prayers of the saints are gathered together in bowls, these golden bowls. And they're being held right now in the heavenlies by these angels and these beings and elders that are currently bowing down before the Lord with your prayers that are then wafting up like incense to the nostrils of the Father, which he delights in. Why do we persist in prayer? Because they are being gathered together before our God who delights. He hears them. The fragrance of us bowing together, the fragrance of the saints joining together and praying is being held together right now in a scenery that we could never imagine until we can see it for ourselves. Being wafted up to the Father that he delights in and is a fragrant offering to the Father. So what do we do from here? How do we then persist in prayer? Nick, if you guys want to head this way. A couple things I'd leave you with if you're taking notes this morning. Number one, one of the ways that we're able to continue to persist in prayer is that you've got to clear out distractions. We talked about busyness is this deception of the enemy that wants to keep you bound up and away from having capacity and time. And some of you guys, you may even need to 
even need to literally take your calendar before the Lord and say, here's what I do on an hourly and a daily and a weekly basis. What do I need to get rid of? What do I need to say no to? When do I need to go to bed so that I can wake up in the morning and be with you? We've got a clear distraction because distraction muddies the water from us being able to, one, have the time, and two, have the clarity to hear from the Father. There's got to be this stepping away to clear. Number two would be to find holy ground. And this comes from the idea that when Moses walked up on to Sinai and he's with the sheep and God comes and starts speaking to Moses through the bush. It says, as Moses began to walk up to the bush, God spoke out and said, stop and take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. And one of the things my mentor did for me uh, a while back was he gave me this prayer mat. There's nothing special about this prayer rug at all. There's nothing uh, sacred about it, so to speak. But he said, hey, man, I want you to use this. And as you step into times of prayer and worship, I want you to lay it out. I want you to take off your shoes. And when you stand on it or sit on it or kneel on it, I want this to be a physical reminder and a representation that you are entering into a holy space with God. And so some of us need to set aside holy ground. For me, that's my closet. There's places, different places that, that I may pray during the day, but I know that when there's this real stirring inside of my heart that I'm going to retreat to my closet with my prayer mat because that is holy, sacred ground that God has set aside for me and that I have set aside for the Lord. Number three, it would be to find a regular rhythm in your day that is completely dedicated to prayer. When the Lord started correcting me a couple months ago in this whole prayer thing, one of the things that he told me, he said, before you do anything in the morning, as soon as your feet hit the ground, I want you to come into the closet, shut the door, and whether that's five minutes or whether that's 30 minutes, I want you to start the first part of your day in prayer. And so every day that I'm at home, I, go, I walk in and I, I get out of bed and I go in to my closet. And, and scriptures say, like, man, pray without ceasing. Like, pray continuously. Pray throughout the day. But gosh, man, if you guys can cut out some intentional time to say, man, the first 10 minutes of my day, that is intentional time for prayer. Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask God to have mercy. I'm going to ask him to defend me. I'm going to ask him for our manna for the day. And I'm also going to cut out a few minutes just to sit and to listen. Fourth thing would be is to write out some of those prayer points. So as I go in the morning each time and I get my mat out and I kneel down, I've also got a journal where I've accumulated and written out some very intentional things that I want to remember uh, to pray for each morning. All right, as catches, we were not valedictorians. And so I need some help remembering the things to pray for. And so I'll write them out. That way I can, I can look at those each morning. And there may be things for that day that are stirring in you that you spend more time praying about. But there also may be things I just need to look back and, and, and be able to have a reference point to say, man, I'm praying for this family member. I'm praying for this job thing. I'm praying for health for that individual. Write them out. It helps keep you on track. And the last thing would be to just keep praying. Like so often, guys, I can look back in my life and realize, gosh, man, like I, when life is so easy, when life is good, when things, things seem steady, typically our, great, our, our natural response is that we'll draw back from prayer because we, again, pride creeps in to think, I don't need it. Or we only come to the Lord when things are hard and when things are heavy. So just keep praying. Does it matter? Yes. I love Kenny came up to me at 
the end of the first service. And he says he started thinking about back in Daniel. Where it says Daniel was praying and he was petitioning the Lord for three weeks. And it says that the angel finally came to Daniel and appeared and said, hey, your prayers were heard immediately. But because of some spiritual warfare, I was caught up. And it took three weeks. It says, man, God heard your prayer. And there was some battles going on in the spiritual realm that were waging and, and roaring. But we heard you and we conquered and we defeated the spiritual warfare and we are here to answer you. So you don't know when that prayer would be answered. You don't know the kind of warfare going on around you that, man, we just need to battle in prayer. Father, as we step now into a time of prayer and worship again, Lord, will you help identify the places and will you help show us the things in our life that have caused us to maybe grow a little weary? Father, I pray that you will speak to us the places in our life that we need to cut out and get rid of and clear distractions away from. Father, will you help us to realize the power and the gift of prayer for what it is? And when we grow weary and when we maybe get tired of the monotony of praying the same things and we think, does it matter? Is it of any worth or value? Will you pull these scriptures to mind and just remember, yes, they're being gathered together before your throne. And that you are a just judge, a loving judge that will speedily come to answer his children whom you love. In Jesus' name.